Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, amen. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for worshiping and making yourself present to the Lord. He is worthy of our focus. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our energy. He's worthy of our lives. Worship. We're talking about worship. The last few weeks, we've got uh, kind of deep into worship. I want to review that a little bit. It's, it's a little bit different, uh, strange sometimes to step back in a worship service and talk kind of academically or, <laughs> you know, look at worship in certain ways from a distance when we're here. We're present with God. We're worshiping. And that, to kind of step back and look at it objectively when your heart's in it, uh, it it's strange sometimes. But let's, let's do that a little bit. Last few weeks, we've been talking about acceptable worship. What does God want from us? What does worship look like? Acceptable worship, what, what is it? How should we portray it? How should we think about it? How should we participate in it acceptably to the Lord? Uh, turn with me back to Exodus. Let's go back to where we were a few weeks ago. Just to, just to kind of restart our minds again about thinking about worship and what, what it means, what, what's acceptable worship. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Uh, we really spent a lot of time in Exodus a few weeks ago because it's a key moment in, in Old Testament history, in redemptive history. And we come to Exodus 19, uh, the mountain, Mount Sinai, that God brings His people to his, the mountain after He saved them, He's rescued them. This is what He says to them. Verse 5 of chapter 19. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Can you imagine just all the elders, but all hundreds of thousands of people as that echoed through the, the, be, be, at the base of the mountain? All the Lord says, we will do. Just, uh, you, we see yesterday, I watched a few college football games yesterday. 100,000 100, people in a stadium, and oh boy, but those things are loud. Imagine all the Israelites at the base of the mountain. All that the Lord has told us, we will do. Just resonating and, and powerful uh, incredible moment for the people of God. Uh, God. God rescued them. You know what worship is? It starts with God's initiative. God is always the one worship starts with. We, we talked about that a lot, how, how God saved Israel, brought them out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt, brought them to himself. He rescued him. He delivered. Then he said, hey, I, I got plans for you. If you'll be my people, I'll be your God. If you'll be my people, you're going to be my treasure possession. You're going to be my holy nation. Give me my kingdom of priests. I, I have work for you to do. And, and Moses uh, brought that to them. And, and Moses brought the, the start of the covenant. This is what God says. This is what he wants. This is how he hopes you'll live. This is what he asks of you. And they say, all that the Lord says we're going to do. And we, we, we spent a lot of time going through that a few weeks ago. And just the whole idea that worship starts with God. And worship is our response to what He's done and who He is. Worship is always our response. We never initiate it. We never start it. It's always something that God does first. 
He takes an act. He takes an action. He, he moves in our lives. And, and then we, we see how awesome he is and how, how wonderful he is and how merciful he is and how great he is. And we respond. Uh, in Old Testament worship, the beginning idea of worship, what is acceptable worship? Worship is obedience to what God has said. Uh, You've you got to start there. The, 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 the time that Israel was at Mount Sinai, Mount Oreb there, before, before God, he gave them his Ten Commandments. This is how, this is how I want you to live. Then he gave them the, the, the Book of the Covenant, all the, the case laws, the individual words. This is, this is how you should live as my people Israel with one another. And in the promised land where you go, this is how I want you to live. He gave temple tabernacle worship. This is how I want you to approach me. Here's my sacrifices. Here's the offerings I want you to give at these times and these places. He gave festivals and feasts. He gave rituals and rites. He gave Sabbaths. He said, this is how I want you to live. And, and we get to chapter 24, remember, and the people said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Worship is a response on God's terms in the way that he's made available for us to worship him. To, and, and worship starts with this sense of, you know, we think about singing. We think about uh, singing to our God, uh, but worship is much broader than that. It's much grander than that. It starts with obedience. It starts with responding to what God has said, what he's commanded, we will do. So we, we, we start there. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the external rites, you go to a place of worship. You offer the offerings that he says, that he requires. You live in, within these festival seasons, these harvest seasons. You live within his parameters. You go to a place. And then we go to the New Testament. And, and last week we got to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, at, uh, verse 21, is where we're going to just review just for a moment there. Uh, the, the setting is Samaria. Jesus goes to where a lot of Jewish rabbis don't go. He goes to where the hated Samaritans are. And Samaritans have their own place of worship, Mount Gerizim. They've got their own kind of rituals. They're kind of, they're kind of hybrid, uh, half-breed Jewish people that have become monotheists. But the Jewish people just really look down upon them. There's a lot of hatred, a lot of racism. Jesus goes there, there's a lot of hatred of Jews from the Samaritan peoples, but he meets this woman there, and, and they get talking, and he talks about living water, he starts getting into her life about her sin and about her need for God, and, uh, and she, she's, she says, well, where do you worship? You know, we worship on this mountain, you Jews worship on that mountain, what's the, what's the, right, what's the right mountain, what's the right place? And look how Jesus responds as we ask what acceptable worship is, what it means to worship God. He says in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And, and boy, that, that's, that sounds really important and really heavy, and, and it is. Uh, in chapter 3, we saw Nicodemus talk, you must be born again. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, there's these imperatives 
God invites the people to worship him at, at these different festivals in these different places. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I am. I am. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's, there's so many, I, these ideas, these, these analogies, these, these word pictures, these, these tangible things that is compared to spiritual life, it's, it, he brings it to a head. There, there's an urgency to it. There's an importance to it. There's a weight to it. He says, you must worship in spirit and truth. What is spirit and truth worship? It's, it's, it's a wild and a deep concept, and it, it's, it's really just getting started in the Gospel of John, and it carries through his death and his resurrection, his exaltation. He, he's leading to something wonderful. It's the beginning of something. Um, in the Old Testament, you met God where? At his prescribed place of worship. Initially, it was at the tabernacle. You had to go to the tabernacle because that's where the Spirit of God was. That's where the glory of God was. The glory of God came and filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40. The glory of God after that, uh, when they moved into the promised land and Solomon built his temple, in 1 Kings 8 and 9, you can read 7, 8, 9, you can read through there, as, as the glory of God came and filled the temple, that's where you met God, at the temple. On the mountain of Jerusalem. And he comes to this woman, and she, she kind of defers. She doesn't want to talk about her private life. It's getting too personal, perhaps. But, but maybe she's seeking God, and she says, where do we worship now? You Jews say, you Jews say the Jerusalem, and, and us Samaritans, we say here at Mount Gerizim, where do you go? And, and Jesus says, let's step back for a moment. There's something new here. There's something fresh here. There's something that's just beginning here. The hour is come. The, the time is ripe. Because I'm here now. And we read about Jesus as you go through the Gospel of John um, and, and the different Gospels. Suddenly, the, the temple in Jerusalem isn't all that important. Suddenly, the place isn't all that important because now Jesus is the place. God has come in Jesus Christ. It's not on that mountain or that mountain. It's, it's not a where anymore. It's a who. Jesus is the who. Jesus is the place. Spirit and truth worship, you meet God through Jesus Christ. Now, in, in the setting, in the context, uh, he, he tells a Samaritan woman, hey, you Samaritans don't know what you're doing. You made up this worship that you have. And, and they did. The, when the Assyrians planted all those pagans in the land of Israel in the 8th century, you know, they, they had this religion and that religion and became a kind of a mix-mix kind of a put-it-together-as-we-go kind of a thing, and this, their monotheism wasn't a pure monotheism. They, they made it up, okay? And so when Jesus says, in truth, you can't worship something that's false. You, you can't live in a worship stream. You can't walk in a stream. Man-made religion, it doesn't work. Man-made man -made religion is false. Your, your worship has to be in truth, in accord. And he said, the, the truth is from us Jews, you know? And now here, here he is, the Messiah who's come. How do you worship now? You have to worship through the Messiah. What, what, what's the Messiah going to do? He's going to go to that cross as an atoning sacrifice. He's going to be buried according to the scriptures, right? He's going to raise on the third day according to the scriptures. He's going to come alive again. He's going to exalt to heaven. He's going to reign and rule forevermore. King of kings and Lord of lords. You've got to live in accordance with the truth. So anything that doesn't, any worship that doesn't go through Jesus Christ is false. Any worship that 
doesn't bow the knee to Jesus is false. Any worship that doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ is false. You go to God now through Jesus Christ in truth, but in spirit. See, the Jewish people of his day, the Pharisees drove him nuts. Rules upon rules, external rules, external this or that. As long as we keep the letter of the law, we're good. As long as we go to the worship service at the right time at the temple, we keep that festival, we keep that Sabbath, we keep that holy day. We, we do it just right. We tithe to the, to the littlest degree. We, we keep records of everything perfectly. External rules. But Jesus says, man, you worship me in vain because you honor me with your lips. You say all the right things, but your hearts are far from me. to the Jews of the day, condemning them in their externalism without a heart, without a love for God. You worship in spirit now. Because when you came to me, he's talking to his disciples in the midst of, the, of, the, of this, this book, as, as John puts it together, we keep hearing these, these conversations and these preachings and these teachings. Ultimately, it comes to him. It comes to him. And, and this, this, it's, it's not this, this place anymore, this location on a special mountain or a special day or something like that. You can worship, worship God anywhere, any place, anytime, because it's internally driven now. You've got, come to God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has made you alive. You've been regenerated. You've been born again. You've come to life. And now, inwardly, you don't have to worry about the externals so much. Inwardly, you worship in spirit. You're motivated from the heart. You love God. You're pursuing Him. You're praising and worshiping Him on the inside, wherever you are, at whatever location, whatever time of day, in spirit, but it's in truth because it always goes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we see this, this, uh, this thing where it, it, it doesn't, mean less than obedience to God, but suddenly it's transformed into this, this thing that can, that can go outside of the bounds of Judaism. It can go up outside of the bounds of, of uh, that tribe or that, that nation. Now everybody in the world, through Jesus Christ, when they're born again, when the Holy Spirit comes and makes them alive, they can work, worship in spirit. And as they go through Jesus Christ, they're in truth. You must worship this way. So say you're here today and you're a Buddhist. If you're not going through Jesus Christ, you're not worshiping in spirit and truth. You come down from Crestone today and you've worshiped at that temple or that ashram or that place of, of worship and however honorable it is or however beautiful it is or however nice the people are, good the people are, if it's not through Jesus Christ, it's not in spirit and truth. And so there's an exclusivism to this only through Jesus Christ. Do we meet God? So we, we have those parameters, that, that, that mindset, but then, then we go deeper today and, and maybe wider, the scope of worship. Acceptable worship is only found in Jesus Christ. It only goes through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Him. But what does that mean for our daily lives? Uh, is it just that, I mean, we, we came to here to this external place. We brought our bodies here. We brought our presence here. We're singing with our lips. We're singing with our mouth. We're doing things. But is this all there is to worship? Just right now, these 59 minutes that we have together, or 67 minutes, 
Or if you start saying amen, it might be 72 minutes. Hopefully it's not, just this short period of time. So we go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we, we come to another summary statement about worship from the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, please. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the Apostle Paul comes before the church. He's writing the Roman Christians, the Christians that have come to faith in Jesus Christ in Rome and and the parts therein. I appeal to you, some of your translations say, I urge you, I beg you. That by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. The appeal to mercy is an appeal to respond. Again, God always starts worship. God is always the initiator. We never start it. We never begin it. It's always because of something that God has done. It's always because of what God started. It's always what God accomplished. It's always because of who he is. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, I've just been talking to you for 11 chapters about what God has done, about how God has saved you, about how God has delivered you, how God has given you his spirit, how God has adopted you into his family, how he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. That nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. He's talked about the mercies of God to the Gentiles. He's talked about the mercies of God to the Jews. He's talked about the mercies of God that has come to a people that doesn't deserve his love or his salvation. He says, I appeal to you, I beg you to respond with your life and all that it entails. Now, we should probably just Get, get, to get a picture of what uh, mercies of God look like, we should go back to the beginning of Romans. If you go back with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, let's paint a picture of how, how desperate our situation was, how encased in guilt and judgment and wrath we were, and what God has done in saving us. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So that doesn't start very well, does it? Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Uh, do, you, do you understand the argument there? Uh, people have, there's a knowledge of God out there. there. There's a knowledge of God that every single person on the face of the earth can recognize. Now, it's not a knowledge that we can really know him personally, 
But there is this knowledge out there through what has been made. People look at the galaxies and the stars. They can look at the, the creation and all, all, all that, that God has done and say, there must be something, someone out there that has done this. And he deserves glory and honor. And, and so Paul starts off this argument by saying, man, the, the people around the world, they're ungodly. They're, they're wicked because they suppress this truth that there is a God. They suppress this truth that there's an almighty God. They suppress this truth that he reigns. He's, in, he's, he's, he's incredible. Who could create that? Someone that is worthy of worship and praise. And so this suppression of the truth, it leaves people, Paul says, they're without excuse. The people that say they're atheists, the people that say there's no God, and, and even worse, the people that start worshiping man-made objects <sighs> without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, you know, they, they knew of God by looking at creation. They did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became, became futile in their thinking. Their worship, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And what a condemnation. And, and the problem is, as soon as, as, soon as someone turns away from that revelation, the general revelation of creation, their, their thinking becomes futile or worthless. You know, if something that's futile is pointless. Like, why do I keep hoping my football team's going to win their Super Bowl? It's futile. It's pointless. It, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't have any hope. And so when we give up on believing there's a God or honoring this God or lifting this God up, uh, if we stop there, our thinking becomes futile. It, becomes just, it just becomes mush. It becomes uh, just random foolishness. And we become fools. We live in that, 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 that rejecting God and rebelling against God and, and not honoring God long enough. We become fools. That's the Old, Old Testament definition of, of a fool, someone who doesn't respond to God. And then uh, the, the foolishness leads us to what? To worship idols. Man, man-made things. Like we have the glory of God. The glory of God is present. We have the opportunity to, to worship God and, and bask in His glory. And the understanding that Paul has is if we respond to the light, more light's going to be given. We respond to God and we worship Him. God in His grace is going to keep coming and coming. And sooner or later, we're going to meet this God and really be saved. But uh, the, the rejection of this and the, they're exchanging the glory of God and all that could be for a statue... It looks like a lizard or a frog. Foolishness, utter foolishness. And so people exchange this for that. And in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. So uh, this foolishness, God says, they say, I, I don't want God, I want this, I want this. You know, when you make an idol, you make it for, to serve you in and, and the lust of the heart. It's like, yeah, my desires of my heart, I, I want what that idol can give me. And God says, I'll let, you go, I'll let you go to it. I turn you over to it. You want that? You don't want me? I let you go. And it moves on from there. Uh, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So be it. Amen. They're exchanging 
God and his truth for images of creation. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So there's lust of the heart and there's dishonorable passions. God gives us up to those things. And if he's giving us up to those things, it means we're dwelling in them. The longer we dwell in this lust of our heart and dishonorable passions, the more we sin. The more we get entailed in sin and we get encased in sin and we get trapped in sin and we have these patterns of sin. It gets uglier and uglier and uglier. A third thing comes about. Their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. They're exchanging what is natural for what is unnatural. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, in other words, God has put an order in place. God has put a, a way of living in place. He's, he's made us in certain ways naturally. And if we refuse to follow his boundaries, if we refuse to live in the ways he's given us, if we refuse to go according to his plan, what, what does he do? Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner. So, so he gives us these minds that just can't, aren't even rational anymore. We think that following sin is a good thing. We, we think that following righteousness is a bad thing. We're all twisted and turned around this debased, this corrupt mind. It just goes crazy with evil. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Malice, maliciousness, they're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, even this natural revelation, this, this natural consciousness that we have, we know when we do these things, there's going to be a judgment that we deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Oh my goodness. You see how bad it is for humanity? Every one of us has been there. Every one of us has been there. The, 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 the wicked desires of hearts, our lustful passions, our, our rejection of God's order and structure, thinking we know better. And God says, hey, you want to get in that stream, that, that river of sin? You're getting in that boat of the river of sin? Uh, it's not just, and that's one of my favorite illustrations of this, it's not just that God lets us go. When it says he gives them over, when he, he dispatches them, he gives them a push. It's a judgment that we experience the consequences of our own sinful nature. We, we deserve the consequences. He says, you want to live that way? Fine. Let me help you embrace your guilt. Let me embrace, help you embrace your evil. And, and, and basically what happens is people move farther and farther into sin. They get more and more entrenched into sin the, the webs of lies and deceit become part and parcel of who they are. And it, do you see the hopelessness? Do you see the brokenness? Do you see the shame? Do you see how trapped they are? After a while, because they're, they've got these corrupted minds, they can't even think anymore. They can't go to God themselves. They're just lost. And that's what Paul talks about. Brothers and sisters, you remember when you were there. When the mercy of God came, when the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ came, 
when you heard by the Spirit's grace, when, when you heard of what God had done for you, how he came in a body as a man and he went to the cross as an atoning sacrifice for you so that you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. When the Spirit called you, when you were born again, when you were made alive and, and you just, wow, I couldn't save myself, but God saved me. I, I was so lost. Man, I was so in such darkness. I was in such hatred. I was in such a brutal state. And God came. God spoke my name. God called me to life. God gave me the gospel, and I said, yes. Rescued by the power of God. Paul says in Romans 12, You guys, you think about the mercies of God with me. Now concerning this, this whole deal of, of what God has done, I, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Remember how he justified you? How when you put, placed your faith in him, he declared you righteous. He gave you the righteousness of Christ. He declared you forgiven. Remember how uh, he gave you his spirit to live within you. That you're now led by the Spirit of God. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember how since the beginning of you, came, you coming to Him and you, you, you receiving His life, He's been working in you to transform you, to make you into a new man, a new woman. Remember the, the way that He adopted you. Remember the way that He said He'd never leave you, forsake you. Just the mercies of God. He, had, he, he didn't have to save you. He didn't have to do anything for you. You rejected Him. You hated him. You despised him. And yet, his compassion was so astounding that he pursued you and called you your name. He called you to be his. He called you to receive his love by his grace. That's where, that's where worship starts. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, by which is your spiritual worship. <clears throat> sacrifices in the Old Testament. Anybody, you know, there's still sacrifices going on in various religions in different places around the world. I remember uh, Eileen Fitzpatrick, one of our missionaries, when she was in, in North Africa, every year they'd have these sacrifices. The Muslims would have sacrifices on doorsteps and stuff. And, and she described those, those in pretty vivid terms. Anybody seen a, a sacrifice lately? On an altar, the, the imagery is, hey, you, you take a, a bull or you take a goat or you take a, a, a lamb, you take a bird or something, and, and you take it to the temple and you cut its throat and let all its blood out, and then you, you cut it up into pieces and you place it on an altar where it's burnt up. Or if it's not burnt up, some of the meat goes to the priests, some, some goes here, but most of it is given to God as, as a sacrifice. And isn't it a powerful image when it says, God wants you to be a sacrifice. Now, we step back and it says, present, my, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And oftentimes, yeah, pastor says, bring an offering to God. We have a tithes and offerings every morning. Bring an offering to God. Give God something. And oftentimes in our culture, oh, I got some pocket change. I got a little bit of this or a little bit of that. I can, I can give an hour here. I can, well, maybe I can only give a half hour. But I can give a little bit here or there to God. And, and yet Paul says, man, think about yourself being 
the offering. In view of what God has done, He saved you from hell. He's grabbed a hold of you and pulled you back to Himself. He's pulled you out of the bondage that you were in. He's rescued you forever and ever and ever. The spiritual worship, the reasonable response would be, to, would be what? To give him just a little bit of something or just give him a little bit of shade, give him a little bit of time? No, Paul says the reasonable response, the spiritual act of worship, we should make our lives an offering to God. Everything we are. Uh, the, the interesting, the terminology there of the sacrifice, it's, uh, it's a living sacrifice. Uh, a sacrifice, it's, it's an all-consuming. So first of all, we talk about give all, to your, all of yourself to God. That last song was, was perfect. Here, I, here am I, Lord, all of me. Take my life. It, it, it's just right along with the text. But a living sacrifice, you know when you kill something, it usually it's a one and done, right? The living sacrifice means the way that we bring ourselves to God, authentic worship, acceptable worship, I bring myself to God continually. If God, you know, uh, if God lets me live 30 more years, his idea of a sacrifice is drawn, uh, gives him his life for 30 more years. Whatever he wants, I'm his. Wherever he wants me to go, I will go. Here am I, Lord, send me. Whoever he wants me to go to, I, I will go if he sins, because my life is an offering. Whoever he wants me to serve, whoever he wants me to forgive, I'm his. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Uh, and so, uh, one, one of the ways we talk about this, well, my body is a sacrifice. Um, wherever I go, my body is. Right? Sometimes we think about worship just as uh, the things that come out of our lips. Our words, we talk about it, we sing to God, we, we say things about God. Maybe, or, or sometimes we put a bumper sticker on our car. Or maybe we wear, wear some jewelry that has some Christian symbolism to it. There's an externalism to that. But our bodies, we're intrinsic to our bodies. We, we can't leave our bodies. Um, and so when we offer our bodies as sacrifices, it's a embodied worship. It's not, a, it's not something that's easy just to say and not live it out. We, we give our lives to God because it's an embodied worship, an ongoing embodied worship, an ongoing offering of myself. And how does that look? Well, um, we don't spend much time in a sanctuary. Our bodies aren't here 24-7. Our bodies are a going-to-work body. It's a going home to the family body. It's going out to play in the, in the creation body. Our, our embodied worship is wherever we go, that's where we should be worshiping. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, as I live my life, it's, it's not, I, I don't shut off my worship. I, this spirit and truth worship, it's an internal thing where I'm praising God, I'm honoring God, I'm living, I'm motivated, my heart loves Him and I'm pursuing Him. And so as I go, you know, like just I pick on Johnny here, as he goes to the post office, Right? He delivers mail walking down the street. That's where he should be worshiping. If you go to the hospital and you, you see people that you know working at the hospital, that's their place of worship. You, you, you go to some office, you go to Adams State College, you're walking down the hallways of some building in Adams State College, that's your place of worship. 
You're in a truck. You're, you're a truck driver. That's your place of worship. Because you know, you're embodied there. We offer our bodies as, as an embodied sacrifice, a living sacrifice, an ongoing giving to God. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever place you find yourself in this world is an opportunity to worship. And, and as we talked about in previous sermons, worship is a response to God, who God is, and what He's done. It's a response of love. Loving God and, and loving people. And what does that look like? <clears throat> if someone, if I'm walking down the street in Alamosa here and I, I see someone fall on the street, my worship is embodied in that I would do what God would want me to do. I'd do what Jesus would want me to do. I'd, I'd do what Jesus would do if he was in my shoes. I'd help that person up. You see, worship isn't this myth, 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 mystical kind of strange kind of weird thing out there. It's, it's the hands and feet. It's the love. It's the serving people. It's a blessing of people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. And the second commandment is like itself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have been set free from the externalism. You know, the, the Old Testament law was for the Jews. Now we're in the new covenant. We're under the law of Christ. And now we live in the spirit and we live by this power of love. You can't break the law if you're living, loving people as Jesus would. But how do you do that? How do you get there? How do you, how, do you, how do you grow to that place? Because frankly, many of us aren't in the habits of worship. Frankly, many of us aren't living in, in worship styles through our day. We, we don't often consider ourselves part and parcel of this world where we're worshiping constantly, this embodied worship, this living sacrifice. And so Paul says the, the problem is, in verse 2, he, he, he highlights the problem by, by warning against it. The problem is we're often conformed to the world. We've bought into the world's values. We've bought into the world's system. We've bought into the world. The world is the lost people of the world, societies, cultures. They're living for themselves. We bought into those patterns and those styles. Our neighbor got a mortgage on that and that and that, so I guess I need to get a mortgage as well. Our neighbor lived like that, and they pursued that pattern, and so I guess i got to live that way too. But Paul says, don't let yourself be shaped into the mold of the world. Don't get into their patterns and their rhythms and their way of living. Why did you buy that? Why did you live that way? Was it because a television commercial said you should? May it not be. Why did you go down that path like everybody else and you look just like the world? Why, why, why? Paul says, don't let yourself, if you want to be this worshiper, if you want to be this embodied worshiper, this living sacrifice, you can't be conformed by the world's standards. You can't let them tell you what to do. You can't let them shape you, form you, mold you into worldly people when you belong to Jesus Christ. Don't be conformed to the world anymore. And the problem is we've lived in the world so long, we've, we, you know, it, it's culture's powerful, society's powerful. You know, uh, man, in, in this culture, in this valley, if you grew up in this culture, you've been encultured like you walk like a San Luis Valleyite. <laughs> you talk like a San Luis Valleyite. You can't help it because culture shaped you and molded you that way. You're, the inflection of your voice, it, it's local, right? But it's, he's talking about not that kind of stuff, but worldliness, sinfulness, evil. The things that people choose outside of Christ, oh, no, it can't be. You've got to fight against it. You've got to stand against it because God has another plan for you. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, God has a plan for you to be transformed. You know what the image that he wants you to be transformed into? 
the ideal that he wants, he's calling you toward, what he's shooting for you in your life. What is God trying to do to you? What is God trying to take you? What is God trying to move in your life and accomplish in your life? The end picture, the outcome that he wants to see in your life. It says it in uh, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Or they might be the firstborn among many brothers. God wants you to look and act and talk like Jesus Christ. Now our kingdom, our home now, is we're citizens of heaven. And, and the king of, that, of that, that kingdom, he wants us to start resembling him. And, and, you know, it's hard to be like Jesus, of course. But we want to have his character. We want to have his values. We want to have his thoughts floating around our head. We want to have his passions and his desires. What breaks his heart, may that break our heart. What he loves, that's what we should love. He wants us to conform. And so be transformed. How do we become transformed? I don't know how to change. I don't know how to... I, I've, I'm a San Luis Valleyite or I'm a worldly person living this way. And I've always lived this way. And I, I put a little Christianity around the edges. I put a little Jesus around... The, how do I change? And he says you need to do that by the renewing of your mind. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your outlook. You need to change your values. You need to change your heart. You need to change your perspective on things. You've got to change your thinking. Um... How do you do that? I can guarantee you're not going to do that alone sitting at home. I can guarantee you you're not going to, you're not going to do that by the intake of media that's worldly. If all you're consuming is Netflix or all you're consuming is, is Instagram, if all you're consuming are these worldly things, I guarantee you're not going to change because you're being conformed to that worldly stuff. There's got to be a break. There's got to be a shift. There's got to be a new way of living life and, and taking things. And, and the biggest way to change your life is through the Word of God. Man, if, if you're consuming more television or more media than you are the Word of God, um, I'm, I, I'm wondering how fast you're going to change, how easily it's going to be for you to be transformed. Some of you are only reading this 10 minutes a week. You're not going to change. The input, all the other inputs that are coming in your life, you're not going to be changed and God, in get God's thinking unless you get God's thinking into your heart. Uh, you, we were changed by the fellowship of believers, right? The inputs that come in. We need to hear brothers and sisters sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to us telling us the truth of God. We need to be surrounded by people that are telling us the truth about what is right and wrong. We need to be surrounded by people that are encouraging us and saying, no, brother, I know you've always lived that way, but that's the wrong way to go. We're following Jesus Christ now. This is how you live now. We can't stay alone. We can't stay isolated. We need the input of the Word of God. We need the input of the church. We need the input through prayer of God's Spirit leading us and convicting us and challenging us into what's true. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now God's 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 will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. But our messed up thinking, our worldly, uh, our worldly way of processing things, we need to be shifted and changed in the way we think. And, and you know the wild thing about it is once we start becoming more and more uh, like Jesus, as we are thinking like Jesus thinks and like God thinks, the, our, our minds are transformed. Then we're able to look at the will of God, and right now we look at the will of God, oh, that's too hard, or I don't think I could do that, or that seems weird. But once we start thinking differently, once we're transformed in our thinking, then we can look at the will of God and say, yeah, now I see it. 
Now I get it. And now I can live it. So that's his prescription for Christ's likeness. How to move from here in the worldliness to godliness and holiness and maturity. But don't miss the point. Worship starts with God. He's taken the initiative. He's loved us with an everlasting love. He saved us by His everlasting power. He's delivered us through His Son. He's done all these wonderful, mighty things for us, given us everlasting life, saved us from hell. And our response should be a whole life, lived out response. Don't limit yourself this week as you go to work. If you're teaching, if you're mechanicking, if you're, if you're changing diapers, don't think it's something that, 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 can't, that can't be a part of that point in that moment of time. Praise God. Worship God internally. Give Him praise. Give Him glory. Pray to Him. Talk to Him. Lift Him up. It's worship. Do it for Him, whatever you do. And He gets the glory and the honor and the praise. Please stand with me. If I'd have got a few more amens, I could have gotten them another 10 minutes or something. <laughs> um, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God bless everybody. Go in the name of the Lord. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.